0: Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Have you ever found yourself to be defensive? Feeling the need to protect yourself before anyone even attacks? How about having the burning need to be perfect so that nothing ever goes wrong? These are survival skills found in victims of covert narcissistic abuse. This is episode three in a mini series about reactive abuse or otherwise called trauma response. And I want to pick up where we left off. I'll review just here quickly. But reactive abuse is the survival skills that we build in an abusive relationship just to protect ourselves. We want the pain to stop. We've tried so many other avenues. We are exhausted and out of options. These can be uh, more physical responses like emotional outbursts, yelling, screaming, even hitting, throwing things. You know, you've reached the end of your rope and you just can't take it anymore and you explode. It can feel totally out of control and it can cause major issues for you as people now see you as the violent one. And I talk about this in episode one of this mini series. So if you missed that, please go back and take a listen. The reactions can also be much more internal. It can be things like shutting down and keeping your mouth shut, unwilling to voice your opinion and and giving, giving in over and over. This is a sure way to lose yourself entirely. You find yourself living behind a brick wall and you wonder how you ever even got there. This was episode two in this series. Now here we are with episode three. I want to talk about the more tactical responses we have. They lie somewhere kind of in the middle, maybe, of the other two. They're things like defensiveness, protecting yourself before anyone attacks, explaining yourself when you don't have to, anticipating problems way ahead and trying to divert them, trying to be perfect so nothing ever goes wrong. It's overthinking and overanalyzing are embedded in this uh, set of responses. I'm Renee Swanson, creator of the Covert Narcissism Podcast and of the Covert Narcissism Group. It's a Facebook support group for victims of covert narcissism. Now, before I continue in this mini-series, I want to address something here that's been brought to my attention. Uh, For me, the covert narcissist in my life was my husband. He's now my ex-husband. And so I speak from that perspective, and I've said that here several times before. So my examples, a lot of times I will say he or him. But I recognize, I fully recognize that there are female covert narcissists in our world too. I know that men are victims of this. And in fact, I have known and worked with several of these men and I have known several female covert narcissists. But I want to go a little further with this one. I also want to add that this is not limited to hetero relationships. Covert narcissism greatly affects the LGBTQ community. And I know that. And it's also not even limited to intimate relationships as well. Some of you are dealing with covert narcissists as parents, siblings, adult children, uh, or, or the partners of these adult children, coworkers, friends, et cetera. Okay? I firmly recognize that this exists in so many communities in our world. And, and I believe that we can all learn from each other no matter what situation we find ourselves in. These, sim- these situations have so many similarities. They carry so much that's in common through all of the abuse, the reactions we have, and how it affects our lives. So I just, I want to address that here. And I want you to know that no matter what your situation is, if you are dealing with a covert narcissist in your life, I get it. You're not alone. There's lots of us out there and we're all in this together. Now, when you are living in an abusive situation, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, you develop survival tactics. As a human being, you are wired to protect yourself. This is normal. You know, survival tactics, they're things like yelling and screaming. This is more reactive. It's driven by a strong desire to have some control in your life. Shutting down is more a disengaging and distancing reaction. And it's a drive, you know, it's driven by the strong desire to have some space and some freedom. It is also driven by exhaustion. The responses we're talking about today are more tactical. It is the drive to take the situation at hand and find ways to make it work. It is driven by the insane desire to fix this. You won't give up on the relationship for whatever reason. And you are determined to survive this. You might even feel like at times you're making it work. I'm fixing this. You know, I'm, I'm doing it. But it just isn't sustainable. Now, before I go on, I also want to add one more thing here. It's very possible to experience responses from any of these three categories. You might, you might fight with the tactical responses for a long time and finally one day explode in a more reactive physical response. Or you might be reactive like that for many years and one day simply shut down and disengage completely. It is not unusual for victims to respond in a variety of ways to their abusive environment. The goal is for you to figure out what your responses are so that you can recognize the, these survival skills and not carry them into your future relationships. For many year, for many of us, we spent years simply trying to find the survival skills that would make our environment work for us. And let me tell you something, your kids do this too. As your kids mature, you will need to help them voice this. You can lead the way by by exploring your own survival skills and and distinguishing them from healthy relationship skills, but your kids are building survival skills too. So the one I want to talk about the most today is defensiveness. You know, this is a tactical response that, that we build, you know, in these relationships. It's a huge survival skill and it's extremely common in victims of covert narcissistic abuse. Think about that checklist we did in a previous episode, a checklist for covert narcissism. So if you're asking yourself, where does that defensiveness come from? Why did I develop this? Why am I doing this? Well, let's take a look at that checklist. The covert narcissist, here's what they have. Hypersensitivity. Their feelings are hurt so easily and it's always your fault. There's no genuine apologies, never allowing you to feel emotionally safe with them. They're gaslighting you. You're always trying to stay in front of them to avoid being blamed or made to feel crazy. They have no boundaries. You have to stand up for yourself just to get normal, healthy boundaries. And even then, you probably won't. They have an extreme amount of jealousy. They're jealous of your time with anyone else, causing you to have to defend why you want time with that person. What about the circular conversations, turning everything into your fault over and over? How about the silent treatment, cruelly trying to put you in your place so that you will do what they want. They carry feelings of entitlement, that they are superior to you. And so you have to defend why you even have a right to speak to them or why you matter in this world. They're emotionally challenged, giving no ability, having no ability to give you emotional safety. You can never relax around them. It's all about them. You don't matter in their world. Your thoughts and your feelings don't matter to them. And they're so protective of their image. Nothing else even comes close to mattering as much as their image. Well, think about all of that. It is no wonder that you have become defensive in this relationship. In these family environments, like I've already said, our kids become defensive too. You can't ask simple questions without getting massive reactions or damaging circular conversations. You can't express your opinion without fear of being pushed down again and again. Even small requests of them cause injuries to their ego and flare-ups. I'm going to give you a couple of examples from my situation. You know, I asked them one time to buy a different kind of meat for our boys for their lunchbox you know, I did most of the shopping, but he really liked to go to Sam's Club. That was his place. He liked that. And so he would not check on me, check with me on whether we needed something or not. He would not ask about what he got. He would just get stuff. And he kept buying this kind of meat that the boys didn't like. And he wasn't eating it either. So it kept going bad and we kept throwing it away. And, and I knew, I knew he was going to react. Again, I was already defensive before I ever had to approach the conversation. But so I told him, hey, they don't like that kind of meat. And could he please quit buying it for them or to get a different kind? And, uh, you know, like I said, my defenses were already up. I knew he would react. And sure enough, he did. After telling me that they used to like that kind, which they did not, he angrily concluded that they didn't want it because he had been the one to get it. They were just being mean and, and selfish and they should just eat it anyways. You know, it, meat is meat and they should just eat it anyways. So simple questions were not safe ever. I'll give you another example was asking him to mow the grass. Wow. I mowed the grass 90% of the time until our boys were old enough to help out. And they helped far more than their father ever did in our entire marriage. But if I asked him to mow the grass, it's, well, why can't you do it? Why do I have to do it? You know, I I would always get such a reaction or such a show of how much this, you know, is inconveniencing him and his world. And, And I always paid for it later, you know, of, okay, well, now you owe me because I mowed the grass. And so before I ever asked him, I was already defending why I needed him to do it this time. It couldn't just be that I didn't want to for once. I just wanted a break from it. I had to like not be feeling well or I had to be injured or I had to be busy. I had to have a reason. So you start defending yourself before you ever even speak. Inside your head, you've already created an entire opening statement that would satisfy a court trial. Protecting yourself before anyone ever even attacks. Explaining yourself before he even starts to speak. Trying to get there before he does. Trying to anticipate the problems before he does. The mental energy that this takes is enormous. And all the defensiveness doesn't work anyways. Are you kidding me? They still get mad. They still react to everything. They still blame everything on you. And in fact, he would even use all of this as yet another reason to be mad at me. There were times where like, I was trying to explain something before I got to the question at hand because of this learned defensiveness. And I would try to, you know, kind of explaining the situation leading up to what I needed. And he would yell at me, just tell me what you want. What is your question? Come on, I don't need all this information. Of course, then when I just asked the question, he demanded to know all the information. Like, well, why do you need that? Why can't you just do? And so, I mean, it was a no-win situation. No matter what approach I took, it was never going to work. So yes, it is a learned defensiveness. It's a survival skill to an abusive situation. Another tactical survival skill that goes hand in hand with this, almost exactly the same, is trying to be perfect. This carries all that extreme overthinking and overanalyzing that I was just describing with the defensiveness. You still have to anticipate everything beforehand, but instead of trying to defend yourself, You're trying to make everything perfect to avoid the problem. An example of this from my background, again, is our Sunday morning routine. We went to church as a family, and when he was ready to walk out the door, I had sure better be ready, and I better have those kids ready too. He did not want to wait on us one minute once he was ready. He could be the one that made us late, but, and and when he did, I don't dare say anything about it, but we certainly could not be the ones making him late. So I had to make things work perfectly. Every week, every Sunday morning, I scrambled to make sure. Get the boys fed and dressed in their Sunday clothes, comb their hair, make sure they get their shoes on, make sure they've got their Bibles in their hands. They needed to be waiting at the door. Keeping them ready was just as much of a challenge as getting them ready in the first place. Are you kidding me? I'm trying to get myself ready after I've gotten them ready. And yet I got to keep them ready at the door. And while the whole, all along, he just, he's on his video games through all of this. But when he decided it was time to be ready, boy, we better be ready. You know, this was not only on Sunday mornings. This applied to anytime any time we were leaving the house as a family. Maybe it was dinner outings. Maybe it's family road trips. Oh man, family road trips. Those were the hardest. I had to anticipate all the problems before they ever happened. And now we're trapped inside a vehicle. We're trapped inside a van. You know, the boys had to have quiet activities to do in the car. So I had to set all of that up and anticipate all of that. You know, when they needed something in the car, I had to make sure that I jumped on top of it so that there were no problems. All right, I got it. We got this. So that I can anticipate everything before he exploded at them. We had to make sure we had enough drinks packed so no one dared ask to buy a drink at the gas station. Because, you know, that was apparently going to break us and and make us be poor because it just never made sense. But And I had to space the drinks out so we didn't have too many bathroom stops. It just on and on and on and on, trying to be perfect. It's exhausting. This is that exhaustion that victims of covert narcissism know. That's an exhaustion that is a bone-dry, deep exhaustion. Now, after the relationship, if you've gotten out of that relationship, now what happens? When you are out and trying to move forward in life, both this defensiveness and this drive to be perfect can continue to cause problems for you. Your mind is still anticipating problems. Your insides react to just the thought of having to make a request of someone or of something going slightly wrong. You build explanations long before you ever even begin to speak or you manipulate things beforehand so that they're perfect and there's no problem. You must work to get this stopped in you, or you will simply continue to find relationships that fit these needs. Your defensiveness will not set well in healthy relationships, and it will chase those away. But on the other hand, without even realizing it, it will fit with a person who strikes that defensiveness in you, which can easily lead you right into another abusive Relationship exactly what you don't want. The same thing happens with that strive for perfection. That strive for perfection will chase healthy relationships away, because I mean there's there are no there is no perfection. That's that's not a goal that's reachable. And when you try to reach it, you're trying to force things, and it's it's unnatural and it doesn't fit with healthy relationships. It will match you with people who want you to work hard to be perfect, and that cycle. Will continue. So, how do you stop these survival skills? First of all, be aware of them. Find them. Find how you are, what survival skills you built. Find what they are. Pay attention to your thoughts. Ask yourself often what am I thinking right now? Are you prepping conversations with others? Are you analyzing how you will say something before you say it? Are you anticipating what the other person will think or say? Explaining things in defense before you even get there? Are you trying to find the perfect way to say something? If that's all going on still, knock it off. These are survival skills, not healthy relationship skills. You are allowed to simply converse in life. You are allowed to just talk, to say what comes to mind, to spontaneously filter as you choose to. And to apologize if something doesn't come out quite right. You know, it's okay. I remember the day when I realized it is okay to say, wow, I could have said that better. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes you just might think, boy, I really could have said that better. No one died and made you perfect. There's no rule that every word that comes out of your mouth has to be just right or the best way it could possibly have been said by anyone ever. Catch yourself prepping conversations and stop. Catch yourself exploring 50 different ways to say something and stop. Catch yourself trying to find that perfect way and stop. Catch yourself anticipating what others will say and stop. Now let's take this and make it into a plan of attack. First, catch yourself when you're alone. What are your internal conversations? We all have them. What are they focused on? Who are they focused on? Are you the main character of your own thoughts? Or are you focused on everyone else? If your thoughts are centered around what other people think of you, then you are living in that world of survival skills. What others think about you has more to do with them and their internal issues than it does with you. Let me say that again. Listen to this. What other people think about you has more to do with them and their internal issues than it does with you. So ask yourself often, what am I thinking about? Just learn to pay attention to your thoughts. This is a huge first step and it goes a long ways. Next, I want you to consciously drop the defensiveness with one or two safe people in your world. Don't over-explain things to them. Don't try to be perfect or even to say things perfectly. Just talk spontaneously with them. And don't overanalyze their words to you. Let all that go. Voice your opinion on things without prepping your words or anticipating their responses. This is how you trust that relationship. It does get better and easier as you go. You just, you've got to start experiencing this with one or two people in your world. And as you get more confident, you can let this become more and more who you are. Drop the survival skills. Let them simply fall away. Now, I'm not saying you can be completely open and honest with no guards up to everybody you meet in life. That's not true. And that is something we will continue to talk about in this miniseries. You know, if someone burns you or takes advantage of you, remember what I said, what others think about you has more to do with them and their internal issues than it does with you. How they treat you has more to do with them and their internal issues than it does with you. So find those one or two safe people and get yourself started. And and if you're still interacting with a covert narcissist in your life, maybe you're co-parenting, maybe you're still in the relationship, or maybe it's at family gatherings, you know, the birth of your grandchildren, whatever. If you're still interacting with that covert narcissist, I want to encourage you to drop the defensiveness with this person too. You can have your guard up. You can protect yourself. You know, mostly just don't engage in any way that you don't have to and keep your distance. But if you must interact, do not do it defensively. Don't anticipate what you have to say. Don't anticipate what he's going to say or she's going to say. Say what you say and move on just like you would with anyone else. Don't ever forget that his or her words say more about them than they do about you. He will show his true colors over and over. Let him. This has nothing to do with you. Don't give them any more of your mental space by overthinking and overanalyzing. They do not deserve that space, and you are the only person that can take it back away from them. That is your headspace, and it is a a precious commodity. As you remove this person from your headspace, you will be amazed at the difference this makes in your life. It won't fix any problems with them. We've already said that that's not possible. It won't fix anything with them. But it will give you your life back. You will find you again. You will find space for your own thoughts, your own, you know, motivations in life, your own energy, your own hobbies, your own interests, your own your own you. You will find you. I hope that this helps. I'm excited about where this mini series is taking us. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening to us today. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. The information provided by Renee Swanson and the Covert Narcissism Podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used for diagnosis purposes and not intended to be a substitute for clinical care. Please consult a healthcare provider for guidance specific to your case. This material discusses narcissism in general. It does not claim that any specific person has narcissism and should not be used to refer to any specific person as having narcissism. Permission is not granted to link to or repost this material to support an allegation or a claim that any specific person is a narcissist. That would be an unauthorized misuse of the material and information provided.